Welcome to 52 Weeks in the Word. I'm your host, Trillia Newbell, and today I'm glad to have on the podcast, Andrew Wilson. Andrew is the teaching pastor of King's Church in London. I love the book of Hebrews, but I imagine that the first time I read the book, I didn't quite understand what I was reading. That's one of the reasons I'm excited about 52 Weeks in the Word. My hope is that as we get into the Word, we'll grow in understanding, but also comprehension. What I'm still learning is just how much the Old Testament, you really need to read the Old Testament to understand the new. Besides Jesus's own words, I think the book of Hebrews puts this on full display. You really need to read the Old Testament. So my question for you, Andrew, how do the Old Testament and the book of Hebrews connect? So the writer of Hebrews is basically trying to use the Old Testament to show that Jesus is better than lots of the things that were in the Old Testament, uh, which seems like a sort of strange approach, but he's basically got these new-ish believers who are at risk of kind of backsliding, falling back, and particularly reverting to a sort of Jewish fudge with Christianity. And so he uses the Old Testament because they believe the Old Testament, but he uses it to show that all of the things that the Old Testament holds as very high, whether it be angels or prophets or Moses or law or sacrifice or priests or all, all of those, the, the components of Judaism. But he uses the Old Testament to show that Jesus is better than those things. And it's a very powerful, it's like, I think Hebrews is like the cleverest book in the, in the New Testament. I think it's the one that makes you go, oh my goodness, how did you see that? That's as, as I read it, which I think is why it can be a bit much when you first read it. You think he just knows his Bible inside out uh, as a writer. And that's why I find it kind of hard to follow. But what he's essentially doing is using the Old Testament to show why Jesus is better than the main things in the Old Testament. And if I remember, the people also must have been enduring some kind of persecution. Yeah. Because there's also um, hope. And I, I remember, in, I believe it was Hebrews 10, where you see uh, a call not to neglect each other because we need to endure to the end. There's lots of that kind of language also. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I think we, we're always guessing a little bit based on what he tells us, but it seems that, as you say, that these people had already, although they hadn't been killed yet, they had had some of their property taken away. There were a lot of, it's an honor shame culture. They were being very publicly shamed. There were some who'd been imprisoned. Some of those who were associating with those who were in prison were also being shamed by their communities and the people had experienced a lot of loss. And so the the group of people are kind of thinking, this is this is too hard. Maybe if we dial down the public elements of the Christian thing and maybe stop meeting on Sundays, go back and practice something a bit more Jewish feeling, we could still believe in Jesus, but we can't. But we, if we don't make him the sort of public element of our confession, maybe we will dial down how challenging it is. And the writer has written this letter to say, no, 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 no that's Jesus is, Jesus is another level. You, these things don't mean what they used to mean because they've now come to completion in Christ. And you need to treasure Jesus and be prepared to live with the consequences of that. And if you do, actually, you'll be the you'll be wise, like Jesus himself was, going through suffering for the goal set before him. What you don't want to do is fall back, because that's like Israel did in the desert. That's like Esau did when he said, here's my birth rate, but I'd rather have a bowl of soup. And you don't want to be like those people. And so the writer is doing uses a lot of Old Testament examples to show why that wouldn't be the right thing for them to do. You know, that's interesting because I was thinking about um, some of the mistakes that Israel made 
in the wilderness, grumbling, rebelling. <laughs> and I, I'll, I'll be honest, as I, when I was reading through there, I think often when we read or we, we think about the people who rebelled, we think we wouldn't. We think we're, we're, we're above. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't yeah. grumble. And I was like, I'd probably grumble if I were thirsty and waiting for water or if I were hungry and I'm like, where's the food? And if I'm walking for day, I would, I, I know my heart enough to know that I would fall into that. And yet in Hebrews, there is this warning, right? That, that we, we don't want to, um, to fall into that temptation or fall into that. And why do you think that's important for us to have that kind of similar warning and even today in today's culture i think you can can you tie some of those or or do you think that's a bridge too far no i, I definitely do i think what is what's happening in israel's story and at risk in the hebrews the whole point is the hebrews are at risk of reliving the israelites journey which is to say i i have got a, a beautiful future ahead of me in israel's case it's a land flowing with milk and honey i've been delivered from slavery but the problem is that this present life grinds me down. It's hot and smelly and sweaty, and I'm hungry and thirsty and frustrated and tired and sleeping on the floor for 40 years, you know, all those sorts of things where you think, well, as you say, who wouldn't be grumpy? But what? But, but that, although that almost sounds a little bit comic, you realize the Christian life is the same, and the writer's saying, you're just like that. You've been redeemed. You had the blood of the Passover lamb, Jesus, slain for you. You came out the Red Sea, like through baptism. You were delivered from the power of slavery. You've got an amazing future ahead of you uh, the, uh, in, in what we would either call heaven or new creation, the land flowing with milk and honey. But in this life, you have to hunker down and keep going. And sometimes that can be exhausting and draining. And sometimes, yeah, you don't have the possessions or the comforts or the benefits that you're, you would have if you weren't a Christian. And sometimes you face an awful lot of shame and humiliation and persecution if for holding fast to Christ. And therefore, you are very exactly like Israel. And of course, in a culture like ours is where, you know, even in the last few decades, there's, there has been a, a turn on a number of things, a, a turn away. So it's become probably harder to, for m many of us to be a public Christian now than it would have been. I mean, my nation got there about 40 years earlier, to be honest. But in the States now, even than 20 years ago, it, it's a, a lot harder to publicly be a Christian. It seems a bit more embarrassing. And I think, again, the letter to Hebrews is saying, guys, you, you don't count the shame as too much. It's That's not such a big deal when you compare it with the glorious future you have ahead of you and the supremacy of Christ. Mm. Okay, so that's really good. I, I believe it's Hebrews 4. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness and slash we can go before his throne of grace to receive help and mercy in our time of need. And I think... I think one of the things that I just, and this is getting to Jesus being better, I love about Hebrews is that there is this continuous pointing to this throne of grace and to to Jesus. And so I, I would love to hear from you, why is Jesus better? Why is it that the that we should fix our eyes on him as we run this race? Well, I think... At the end of the letter, the writer says, Jesus has actually lived through exactly what you lived through. He's been tempted in, he, he does this throughout, actually. Been, he's been tempted in every way, just like you have, and he didn't sin. But that means he's a high priest that's able to sympathize with you. And so when he gets to the end of the letter to say, he's the runner who's gone on ahead, and you want to be like him, 
he's been dropping in seeds all the way through the letter um, saying that, that all kind of come the bloom at the same time at the end. He's saying, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, because he started the race, he finished the race. He did all the human race you did with the sufferings that you have multiplied by many times. But because of that, it's not just therefore, wow, what an, what an awesome example. It's also, yes, but what a sympathetic priest who is able to come alongside you as a man and say, I understand because I've been human too, what it's like to face these challenges. And I'm not in that sense a, a deity who's so removed from the realities of living with shame and frustration and persecution. All this. I've done all of those things and it's because I've done them and accompanying you through them and I'm now praying for you in them that I can count as a high priest who's able to sympathize with you in your humanity, but also able to go and present the benefit of my sacrifice to God in my divinity. And so I can cover your sins, but I can also sympathize with your weaknesses. And that double whammy that you find in Christ and find nowhere else in any other religious system is at the heart of why Christians can hold fast to Jesus in the midst of suffering. And it's really what Hebrews is trying to present us with, I think. Yes, amen. Well, one of the things that I started with is that in really to understand all that the writer is writing about, you really should read the Old Testament. And I think when we get to Hebrews 11 and get to this Hall of Fame of Faith, we really don't understand how they had faith unless we read those stories. I know that I have in the past either barely skimmed through those names or just <laughs> kind of ran through them. Um, why do you think that it's it's important to to look at these people who've walked and who were incredibly sinful. Like, yeah. <laughs> like they're yeah. fallen. <laughs> yeah. But why do you think that is that we, that, that the, the writer and our Lord thought it to put this hall of fame for lack of a better word of faith in there as examples? I think it's so powerful because without them, the Bible, with a couple of slight exceptions, someone like Peter in the New Testament, you do have the same thing. Very fallible, flawed, messy. You see yourself in him. And I think that's why Peter's so often people's favorite character. Um, but actually, most of the New Testament's not about the flawed people. Most of the New Testament's about Jesus and his accomplishment, which is obviously exactly what we need. But the kind of problem, if you could ever call it that, would be that if you have a very almost quite heroic and insightful man like Paul, who writes a lot of it, and then you have most of the rest of the story focusing on Jesus and the success and growth of the church, that actually to look for individuals who you go, oh, I can see myself in that clown and their that terrible marriage situation. They, they just massively dug, dug himself a hole there or really let everybody down or totally fell into appalling sin. You need some of these Old Testament characters and you need to understand what it's like to see life through their eyes and to sympathize with them. And I think if we didn't have the Old Testament characters like that, the people in Genesis or the story of David or wherever, it would be all too easy to think everyone in the Christian life walks through it like Jesus or in a lesser way like Paul. And of course we don't, and Old Testament characters could be a huge encouragement in that sense. I agree. And I'm, I'm so grateful that we can read those stories. So I want to encourage people, if you've never looked at the book of Hebrews and thought, okay, what? Who is Melchizedek? <laughs> what is this about? All of these things that you just hear in that book, and you're you're curious. I want you to to look up and cross-reference. So look at the little numbers on the on the end of that 
uh, sentence and look it up, read these stories. Or if you get to Hebrews 11, remind yourself, refresh yourself of these Old Testament stories, even if it's just a couple of verses to remind yourself, oh, this is why they had faith. This is why um, the Lord says that Enoch walked closely with God. And and what, what does that look like? So that's my encouragement to you. But more than that, I pray and I hope that we would find comfort in Jesus. And that's what I want you to pray about. Andrew, would you mind to pray for us? Um, pray for those who maybe they have, uh, they're in a season where they've, they've, they see their sin greatly and um, they're struggling with maybe even confessing and getting it in the light and receiving that grace, that freedom that comes from Jesus. Would you pray for us? Of course. Yeah. Father, thank you so much for the deliverance that you've given us out of slavery, out of being in Egypt, really, out of being bound and captive and oppressed and into freedom. But we also need your presence to sustain us and your spirit to empower us and the grace of God to carry us through and compensate for our weaknesses in this wilderness journey we're on as we wait for inheriting the land and never for struggling with sin or death ever again. And Lord, I pray that you would sustain my brothers and sisters, those of us who are crying out for help, those of us who are looking to persevere, and we want to, but we're floundering, struggling, under attack. Lord, we ask that you would carry us through. We ask that you would be like the cloud, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, carrying us through this journey, feeding us, nourishing us, giving us what we need from your spirit and your word in your son. And we pray that your grace would cover all of our sins and carry us safely to the to, to Canaan and to the land flowing with milk and honey that one day we will inherit. And pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.